Good morning. Good to see you. Hey, go give a round of applause to all the new people at church this morning. We love new people. On behalf of our senior pastor, Pastor Jesse, uh, we're so glad to see you out today. We hope you feel uh, right at home. Hey, we are in week three of our series. We prayed for this, uh, and we're going to mix it up today. We're going to do something a little bit different. Um, so why don't you stand to your feet, everybody here. We're going to welcome up our panel, a couple of the, the best people on planet Earth. Come on, welcome up Pastor Joanne and uh, Pastor John Mannion. Come on, give them a nice round of applause. Incredible. You can be seated. How you guys doing? Feeling good? Ready to go? We're going to have a good conversation here. I'm excited about it. Feeling good, Doc? Hey, I mean, I'm up here with you, Pastor Jay, these plants. (laughs) I mean, this is good stuff. Good stuff, good stuff. So we're in week three of this series. We prayed for this um, two weeks in. What's something that you're taking away um, from the first two weeks, the first two uh, messages in this series? Doc John? Well, I, I would say, number one, the necessity of the battle. You know, when we're talking about we prayed for this, by necessity, there's going to be a battle. And that's just the way it is. Look, if you're going to take ground, there has to be ground being taken from something or someone, whether that be your own flesh or the evil powers of this world. If you're going to be in a fight, you know, if you're going to win, you're going to have to be in a fight. And so there's really no surprise there, and we shouldn't be surprised. I think that's one of the things. In 1 Peter 4, it says, why are you so surprised that there's these fiery ordeals, that, as if it's something odd that is happening? So I would say the necessity of the battle. The second thing is the competition of the agendas. This is a big one. You know, this is where we get into that whole thing about motives. Motives. Philippians 4 talks about circumstances that come up. And sometimes we just have to check our motives at the circumstantial door because we have to see what are we really in this for? Paul says, I've learned to be content in much and in little. I've learned to be content hungry or in excess. And you might say, Paul, what's the point? And the point is that that's not the point. What's what's not the point? Circumstances. The circumstances are not the point. What is the point? Paul says right after that, he says, I I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's the point. And uh, in Philippians 1 earlier... He really kind of is challenged with this, what I call the competition of agendas. Where is Paul going to fall? Is he going to win in this thing, or is he going to fall to other agendas? In Philippians 1, do you remember that kind of that story that Pastor Jesse told? It's, it's really a, a, a powerful thing. Here he is, he's in jail, and he's going to have to check his motives at the doorway in the jail. Because he's in jail, and for Paul, he's a minister of the gospel. So he wants to see the gospel go forth. But Paul, what is your agenda? Is your agenda maybe actually to just grow your own ministry? Is your agenda to be more powerful? Is your agenda to be more famous? What is it that you're really in it for? Because while he's in jail, these people are preaching the gospel, but they're the ones getting the fame, the growing of their ministry, the power. And this is going to be an issue. And Paul says this. I love these words at this point. He just says it this way. He says, you know what? Thinks about it and he says, so what? So what? What's the difference? Who cares? As long as Christ is being preached. And that's where we check our motives at the circumstantial door. Yeah. Um, Out of the last two weeks, one thing that I got was when Pastor Jesse was talking about uh, the tension that your answered prayers can cause. And I had, I really never thought of that before. I never looked at prayer in that perspective. So it really caused me to evaluate and look back on some answer prayers I had in my life. And 
Um, for the most part, a lot of the uh, tension that the answer prayers caused, the blessing was greater than the tension, you know? And I think that as you grow in your walk with God and you're really trying to follow the Lord and listen to his voice, uh, the word says that as you're enjoying your relationship with God and you're delighting in him, that he'll give you the desires of your heart. And it also says in Philippians that it's God that it's work, he's at work in you to fulfill his purpose and his plan. So I believe a lot of your prayers are motivated by the Holy Spirit in you. It's really God's plans and God's desires for you that you're praying. And so I believe when he gives you the answers, he will also give you the needed strength to deal with the tension of those answers. So that was something that I got out of that. So speaking of that, though, um, tensions um, of God answering prayers, um, how do... How do Christians um, kind of manage that, that, that tension, have good perspective um, on those tensions, Pastor Jay? Um, well, it, can, it requires continual growth in the Lord. Like, you can't stand still because everything that God puts on you requires more strength from you. And he is causing all these things and these tensions to allow you to grow to look more like Jesus. And, and the tension will do that. It's putting pressure and molding you to make you look more like Christ. It's interesting that Paul never prayed for people. He didn't pray for us or the church for things or material things, or he didn't pray, oh God, keep them from every trial and relieve them from their hardships. He prayed that we would become spiritually strong because when we are spiritually strong and we know our identity in Christ, that's what's going to keep you through every circumstance, no matter how hard it is. Um, Ephesians 3.20 and Ephesians 1.19 talks about how we've been given power, unlimited, um, un unmatchless power through Christ to live this life. And I don't think many of us have accessed that or, or we don't really realize. And sometimes we think, oh, God, I can't handle this. This is too much. But you, don't, you can't in your flesh. But it says that we have this unlimited, um, amazing power through Christ to do anything. And that's why Paul said the outward things don't really matter. It's what's happening on the inside and how God is developing you through these outward circumstances. Dr. John? Perspective. What kind of perspective do we need to have as Christians? First of all, I would call it a Jabez perspective. First Chronicles 4 talks about the prayer of Jabez. Many of you know that. There's a little book. It was very popular. It's called The Prayer of Jabez. There might be a good follow-up book to that called The Aftermath of the Prayer of Jabez. Because Jabez prays this prayer. He prays, Lord, expand my territory. Expand my tent. Um, I remember when I think of that, I think of my tent, I think of my family, and I, I remember back when my wife and I had just gotten married, we were very young, we had been talking about kids, and we were like, well, how many kids do we want to have? How big do we want our tent, our territory? And um, we were like, oh, let's have lots of kids. I mean, we, we were young, we, we were young. <laughs> but uh, we did, we, we, we had a good many, we had six kids, but here's the thing, when you have those kids and that territory is expanded, that's going to require more of you. It's going to require more of you giving up yourself. Just ask the newborn, the, the mothers of newborn babies in here, especially, of giving up yourself, like as in sleep. 
right? And, and you're going to have to be more sacrificial. You're going to have to give more of yourself. And so that's something we have to understand. That's kind of the perspective. It's the, it's the disciples' perspective. Matthew chapter 16 says, if you want to follow me, if you want to be my disciple, that's what the word disciple means, a follower. If you want to come after me, it says this, you have to deny yourself. And then it says this really alarming phrase, you have to take up your cross. Why? Because, well, we, we have to suffer just for the sake of suffering. No, that's not what Jesus is saying. What he's saying is, if you're going to get more of me, you're going to have to get less of yourself. You're going to have to die in order to live. And, and that's, that's, that, that's the, the perspective we have to have. Oh, that's, that's brilliant. So let's just, we'll, we'll call that um, dangerous prayers. Um, dangerous prayers. And uh, so what, what would those kind of prayers that we pray um, today look like? like? Give us an example of what that, what that means today, Pastor Jay. Okay. Well, first of all, the definition of dangerous is something that causes harm or injury or brings a bad uh, effect, you know, a response. So when we say dangerous prayers, um, the only thing prayers can possibly be dangerous to is to your flesh. <laughs> you know, um, it might cause, like, like Pastor John was saying, a lack of comfort or pleasure on your part or um, you dying to yourself and your agenda and your flesh in order for something better. Yeah. So actually the pain or the injury is all for good, you know, because in the long run, uh, what you're giving up can't compare to what you're going to get, you know. So what you were, the question was a dangerous prayer. Yeah. A dangerous prayer. Well, for, you know, we're big on the children issue. And so one of the dangerous prayer, I think, for a lot of young couples would be um, asking the Lord instead of you deciding about how big your family is. And I think a lot of Christians don't do that. They just go into life and they make their plans and this is how many, and this is what year, and this is how far apart. And then God is nowhere in that equation. And I think a lot of that is just a lack of trust. It's a lot, lack of trust in God's um, provision to provide for you or that you can handle it emotionally or financially or whatever. Um, but I think any, any decision where it requires more trust on your part or growth on your part is going to feel dangerous to you until you're at that place where you can trust God for those things. Yeah. Dr. John? All right, here's a dangerous prayer. Lord, give me more patience and faith. Yeah, yeah. Give me more patience. Now, God. <laughs> it's a very dangerous prayer in a very good way. It's dangerous because the only way to get more patience is in the arena of impatience. It's just simply another way to say the only way you can win is if there's actually a fight. You have to have a foe to beat. Again, the foe is your own flesh. This is why Jesus says you have to take up your cross. It's, it's dying to yourself. And so here we go. Give me more patience. Guess what's going to happen? God's going to put all kinds of annoying people around you. He's going to create the arena for you to win. Because in the arena of impatience, or at least the tendency toward it, you can win with patience. Um, okay, how about the other one? Lord, give me more faith. Wow, this is, a, this is a dangerous one. Actually, this was one of the prayers that the disciples prayed. 
to Jesus. It's in Luke chapter 17. They literally say the exact words. They say, Look, Jesus, increase our faith. What does Jesus say to that? He literally says, all right, get smaller. That's what he says. They say, increase our faith. And he says, if you have faith, now what Jesus is going to do, he's a good teacher. He is going to describe and explain what is the nature of faith. What is the essence of it? If you're going to get more of it, you have to know what it is. So he uses a simile. He says, it's like something. And whatever it's like is going to have the same nature as that to faith. So he says, you know what? You want more faith? Faith is like a mustard seed. It's the smallest thing there is. He's saying to them, if you want more faith, you've got to get smaller. The way John the Baptist says this in in John chapter 3.30, he says, I must decrease and he must increase. See, this is the understanding we have to have about dangerous prayers. Therefore, you're you're good. The outcome is what is going to be the best. But to get there, there has to be a fight because to get to him, which is faith, you have to go through yourself. You're not going to come to Jesus if you keep wanting to come to yourself. You're not going to live for Jesus if you want to keep living for yourself. You're not going to be, make Jesus your boss and your Lord if you keep wanting to be your own boss. And so you got to take up your cross. That's the perspective of a disciple. Wow, that's so good. All right, so what about, what about like... Oh. A prayer like this, because we, pr- we pray this a lot as Christians, um, the, the, the dangerous prayer of, I want to be more like Jesus, WWJD. What would Jesus do? I want to be more like Jesus. Um, why, would, why would that be a dangerous prayer? Pastor Jay? Jay. <laughs> well, first of all, you have to know what Jesus is like mm-hmm. uh, to want to be like him. Um, and I think it's, it, well, it's, it's dangerous again just because Jesus came as a selfless servant. He came to serve and not to be served. He came to do the Father's will, not his own. And so, so it's all about that whose agenda. And, and it all comes down to trusting God the Father with his directions for our life, isn't it? Because Jesus totally... I mean, he and the father were one, and they had such a tight relationship that he totally trusted his father so that whenever his father said something, even though it might have been hard, he trusted his father. And so that I think for me, my, the greatest thing in being like Jesus is that I need to take the time to spend with the father and listen to his voice. I want to be really well acquainted with the Holy Spirit so that when he speaks to me, I'm quick to listen and quick to obey. And because that's how Jesus mirrored life and relationship with the Father and the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says literally, like, we are Jesus now here on, you know what I mean by that? We're, we, we've died, we're Jesus. Jesus is living through us and in us. And so to the world, we are Jesus to the world. The people in your realm of influence, you represent Jesus to them. So the only way to know Jesus really well and the Father and how the Holy Spirit speaks to you is by spending time with him, listening, learning to listen for that voice, reading the word of God, and trying with, with the strength that the Lord gives you to obey it. You know, um, I think Jesus just did that perfect. 
He was a perfect example of that. And people might say, oh, well, he was God. That was easy for him because he was God. But no, he was 100% man too. And he, it says that he felt every feeling that we feel. And so we can look to him as an example and live life like he did. Yeah, um, I mean, I think Pastor Jace has a very insightful point here on this, you know, how you pray the prayer, I want to be like Jesus. When we pray, to some degree, we have to know what we're praying for, right? So if we're going to pray, I want to be like Jesus, we have to know what Jesus is like, because that's what we're going to get. And, and Jesus is a suffering servant sojourner. That's what he is. He is a servant. That's what he does. He, he's God. And he's man. But even the Son of Man, Mark 10, 45 says, did not come to be served, but to, to serve. So, it, you know, the scripture says it this way. If you want to be last, you got to be first. If you want to be the leader, you got to be the servant. It's a flip-flop kingdom we live in. Yeah. And so what we have to understand here is what are you actually praying for? Well, you're going to be a servant. What else are you going to be? You're going to be a sufferer. Hebrews 5, 8 actually says this of Jesus. It says, in the days of his flesh, in other words, when he was a man, he cried out to the Father with loud crying and tears to the one able to save him from death. Well, what is death? Sin is, the wages of sin is death. To keep him from sin, from going. You say, Jesus could have sinned? Well, no, he's fully God. He, he wasn't going to sin. And although he went through every temptation, he did it without sin. But guess what? He did go through every temptation. And they were real. And so guess what came with that? Suffering. Although he was a son, Hebrews 5 says, he learned obedience through the things that he suffered. And so he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. And what is, what is the suffering? It's the same suffering that really we're, we're going to go through. We've got to lay down our own will and give our will to the Father, to God. And Jesus literally says, take this cup from me if you would. But then he says these incredible words, but not my will, but your will be done. See, that's that's what it means to, like, to get rid of yourself. And they're suffering with that. In fact, there was so much suffering with that. If you remember in that story in the Garden of Gethsemane, it says that Jesus sweat drops of blood. So we have this incredible thing where Jesus is the suffering servant. So that's what you're going to be like if you're praying, make me like you. Here's the other one that's really tough. Jesus is a sojourner. The lawyer comes to Jesus and he says, I want to be like you. I, I want to follow you. And Jesus pauses and he says, okay, but you have to understand, I have no place to lay my head. Now, what's he saying there? It's not a communist manifesto. Okay, he's not pre-Karl Marx here. Okay, it's not, he's not making a communistic statement. You can't own anything. Then what is he saying? He's saying you cannot cling on to anything. You have to let go of it, even if, it need, even if it's your own life with Jesus. That was Jesus. He didn't hold on to anything. He let go of everything, and that's an incredible challenge to us. But here's the thing. It's an incredible thing that we get when we do that because we get him. So good. Um, another dangerous prayer um, kind of staying in that theme. If you were to kind of boil down uh, True North Church mission statement. It's ID, introduce and disciple. 
And we're passionate about seeing people come to Jesus. We don't end a service without uh, giving people an opportunity to respond to the gospel. Um, why is um, praying for our friends and our family um, to come to know Jesus, why, why, how could that be a dangerous prayer? Uh, Dr. John, why don't you keep going? Well, I would, it is, it's a dangerous prayer in the, in the sense of the same thing we've been talking about. When we pray for the things of God, we have to understand that what we're ultimately going to pray for with respect to ourselves is his agenda, not ours. So even when we pray for something as, as, as noble and as great as praying for our family and friends to be saved, we have to understand that there's going to be, in a sense, a fight with that, a fight against our own flesh because of what we want to do or don't want to do. And so, for example, Luke 12 says this. It says, he who has more and more is expected of him. Okay, so you're, if a family, you're a family member who's praying for your unsaved family members, and they get saved. Well, guess what? You have more than they have at that point. You know Jesus more. You are more familiar with him. You know how to follow him better. So you, it is your responsibility then to actually lead those people along the way. That takes time. It takes effort. It takes giving up sometimes your own agenda. And that hurts. The bottom line issue is you've got to have that perspective that we talked about before in everything. In everything. That's why Matthew 6, says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all the rest will be added unto you. Seek ye first. He's number one. And by the way, there's no two number ones by definition. You can't have two ultimates by definition. You can only have one. That's why Jesus says you can't serve God and mammon. You can't serve both. You can't have both of it. It's either all or nothing, and that's the challenge of Christianity, isn't it? And the principle there is, I, I would call it the principle of the wheat, the grain of wheat. John chapter 12 says, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it bears no fruit. What is there about death that leads to life? It's the same thing that is about less of me that leads to more of him. And so we talk about the fruits of the Spirit, for example, and love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. We talked about patience, fruits of the Spirit. It comes out, but it comes through. It's interesting in Galatians 5, where the fruits of the Spirit are, you have the whole context of the fruits of the Spirit is all about taking up your cross. See, there's the fruit of the Spirit, but there has to be the fertilizer of the Spirit. And the fertilizer is that which grows the fruit. And that grows through your death. Jesus grows. He increases through you decreasing. And so this is the, these are the principles and the perspective we have to understand when we pray prayers. Because this is what God's going to do. And it's going to be awesome. He's going to give you all the best. As long as you're willing to get rid of the worst. Yeah, that's so good. That's so good. Um, yeah, I was just, I was thinking along those lines that um, we had spoken in the first service about there is the cross and there is the dying to yourself and there's the Friday, you know, Good Friday when Christ was crucified. But it says in the word that he went to the cross for the joy set before him. And I think that that should motivate, encourage you that if you feel like you, you're having to die to yourself, I mean, even in the small things like where it says, love your enemies and pray for those that hate you, that is a hard thing. And you really have to die to your own emotions. Um, but in that, 
that says there's joy on the other side of that. Jesus went to the cross for the joy that he knew would come on Sunday, you know? And so for any time that you're feeling that struggle of, wow, I need to die to myself in this issue, you can just think about, no, 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 there's joy. There's peace on the other side of that, right? The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy. And righteousness is being in right standing with God and with other people. And when you're doing that, you're in right standing, there's peace and joy on the other side of that. Um, the, whole, the whole gospel is about love, but it's God's definition of love. Like you were talking about patience. Love is patient. That's the first definition of love. And so um, getting back to your question about why is it hard to share the gospel with our friends or could that be a dangerous prayer? Um, like John said, it might take you time to disciple people that come to the Lord. It might take more of your time and effort. Or the Lord might be requiring you, he might say, hey, just be quiet. Don't preach to your family anymore. They've already heard it. And that might be hard for you. That might be hard for your flesh to be quiet and just show them love, you know, and even pray that God brings other people into their lives to share the gospel. It might not be you that wins them to Christ. It might be someone else. And uh, so that's all being sensitive to the Holy Spirit, though, and listening to how he's, what he's telling you to do. Wow. Okay, last question here. Um, why, why is saying um, the salvation prayer, saying yes to Jesus, how could that be a dangerous prayer? You want to go, Pastor Jay? Um, yeah, sort of the same, along the same lines that we've been talking. Uh, I know when I was uh, 19 and in college, and I was doing my own agenda for the first semester of school, and it wasn't very pretty. I, I thought it would be, I thought it would bring me a lot of joy and peace. But by the end of that semester, I was a mess emotionally and not finding much joy or anything. And so by the end of that semester, though, I clearly heard the Lord say, make up your mind, make up your mind. And uh, there's no wavering. There's no wavering between two sides. There's no middle. There's no being on the fence with Christianity. You either are serving the Lord 100% or you're not. Like Jesus said, when you put your hand to the plow, if you look back, you're not fit for the kingdom of God. Jesus said some pretty really, seem almost harsh, but the reality is you're not, you can't enjoy the world and enjoy the kingdom of God. It says that Christ took us out of the kingdom of darkness and put us in the kingdom of light. So there's no, like, in between those two kingdoms. It's one or the other, and it's up to you to make that decision. And so I made that decision in college, and it was the best decision I've ever made. I didn't lose anything by far. I just gained everything. Uh, at the time, it was a difficult, you know, decision to make, but it was so worth it. And Mark 8, 35 says, whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But if you lose it for the Lord and for the kingdom of God, you'll gain it. You'll save it. And what you're losing isn't really anything, really. It's a smokescreen of what you think might be happiness. Uh, Satan will throw up a lot of things that look glamorous and attractive. And I can guarantee you, if you're not tired of the world or if you don't see that the world really has nothing to offer, uh, then just... God will show you. <laughs> he, he's faithful and he loves you enough. He, like the song says, he won't leave you there. He will show you that the world has absolutely nothing to offer you. So if you're in that place and you still think 
your agenda is pretty good and the world has a lot to offer, then you're not probably ready to accept Christ. But God will show you. Yeah, you know, the prayer of salvation is a serious prayer, and I think that's important to understand that. It's not just some flippant thing that we do. It's a serious prayer. It doesn't mean, when I say it's not flippant, it doesn't mean that you earn your way. You can't. You can't work your way into heaven. In, in that sense, it's easy because God made it easy for you. In a certain sense, it's easy because it's free. Now, why is it free? Well, it's free because it has to be. You have nothing to give. You have nothing to give to earn it or to deserve it or to gain it. So it has to be free. Jesus had to do it. But it's costly. It's free but it's costly. Why is it costly? It's costly because we try to hang on to that which is not our own. That's why it's costly. It's not costly because some kind of self-flatulation thing that, you know, we suffer and we earn our stripes and, you know, we, we become some holy person. It has nothing to do with that. It has nothing to do with some kind of suffering just for the sake of suffering. In fact, that's, that's just called false humility. It has to do with Suffering, if you will, dying to yourself, letting go of what you don't own anyway. It's hard, but it's, it's, it's suffering in that sense, which leads to life. I, I mean, you know, here, Matthew 10, that Pastor Jay's referring to here, it, it says that the, after it says that, after it says, you know, if you want to save your life, you have to lose it. Um, but if you lose your life, which is hard, well, let's be honest, that's what I mean by it's not flippant. It's, it's a serious prayer. But if you lose your life, you'll save it. And then the next thing it says, a very profound thing. It says, if a man was to gain the whole world, you get everything. You keep it all. But lose his soul. What good is that? I mean, I know we don't like to talk about hell, but the Bible talks about it quite a bit. Is it worth it? to give yourself to God and to make the decision to let go of yourself and say, I am not my own boss anymore, but I make Jesus the boss of my life. Well, here's the way to ask it. Is it, is it worth it to not go to hell? I hope that's okay to say it that way. The Bible says it that way. Let me put it the other way. Is it worth it to go to heaven? Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's worth it. October 24th, 1984, and we'll, I'll close with this. Just, you know, Pastor Jay was giving her testimony. That, that's what it is. That's why we call it that. It's a testimony. It's a, a testimony of, of, of what God has done in our lives. We're sitting on the, on the bench, and we're witnesses. And we give this testimony of what God has done in our lives. Every one of us in here have an opportunity for a testimony. The question is, what is your testimony? Every one of us in here have to have a testimony. You know why? Because we all have something in common. Nobody in here is better than anybody else, especially me or anybody else. I'm not better than anybody else. I can tell you that for sure. We all have the same problem. We're all sinners. We're all missed the mark. That's why we all have the same solution, because we all have the same problem. 
October 24th, 1984, um, I'm sitting in my, uh, my studio apartment in L.A., and God began to move on me, and he spoke very clearly to me, no verbal voice, but no audible voice, but as clear as it could be. And he said, you've prayed for 12 years, which was totally true. From the time when I turned, when I was 10 years old, I, re, I still remember this like today. When I was 10 years old, I made a kind of an agreement with God, a pact. I was so concerned that somehow in my life I would miss what God made me for, which I thought would be the worst thing. I knew about God enough to know that. I didn't know him yet, but I knew enough about him. And so I prayed to him. I said, God, I make a deal with you. I will pray every night that you will not let me miss what you made me for, if you will indeed not make, let me miss what you made me for. And that night, October 24th, 1984, God said, you've been praying for 12 years, and tonight I'm going to answer your question. Yeah, what is, wow, I was like, whoa, what's it going to be? This is going to be amazing. This is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm going to be. And God says, I made you to give your life to my son, Jesus. That's what he made me for. Romans 10, 9 says, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you will be saved. I made you to give your life to my son, Jesus, that he would be your boss, your Lord, and you would no longer be your boss and your Lord. I prayed that prayer that night and God saved me. I want to invite you and, and, and say to you, yeah, it's dangerous. We have to understand that. It's free because it has to be. You have nothing to give. But it's costly because we try to hang on to that which is not our own. Let go. Let go. Give God your life. You will never regret it. I want to say to you, yeah, it's dangerous. But get in the fight. Get in the fight. Yeah, there's a fight. But fight. And yeah, I want to say to you about the prayer. Yeah, there's a prayer. So pray it. Amen. Come on, can we give it up for these two? Give them a round of applause. Thank you, guys. That was incredible. Hey, thanks for watching. I pray that this message was a blessing to you and an encouragement to you. Wherever you find yourself in the journey of life, um, we never finish one of our services without giving people an opportunity um, to make Jesus their Lord and Savior. You may be asking, well, how does that happen and how can I be a follower of Jesus? I want to tell you that sin is the very thing that separates you from having a relationship with God. Um, but Jesus came to reestablish that relationship. When Jesus died on the cross and defeated sin and death by being raised to life on the third day, he provides a way for you and I to reestablish that relationship with the Heavenly Father. Now, this is what the Bible says. It says that salvation comes by grace through faith, which simply means you just have to believe. In Romans chapter 10, verse 9, it says that out of the confession of your mouth and the belief in your heart, you shall be saved. And so what I'd love to do is to lead you in a simple prayer. It's simple, but it's significant. It's significant because the Bible says on the other side of this prayer, you're a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. So repeat this prayer after me. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, I receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I believe that he died on the cross and was raised to life. God, make me new. I'm now a Christian. Christ now lives in me. In Jesus' name, Amen. 
Hey, if you just said that prayer, I'm excited for you. I'm very excited for you. Why? Because your life just started. The Bible describes you in a completely different way. It says that the old is gone and the new has come. You're a new creation in the eyes of God. And I want to encourage you um, to to tell somebody about the decision. I know oftentimes when people make this big decision, they're excited, but they're frightened and have reservations about telling people. I wanna encourage you to tell somebody, whether it's contacting us here at True North Church through the website or calling us, we'd love to send you a Bible, but more importantly, you need to be part of a spiritual community. Find a local church, uh, a local church near you, a healthy church, a Bible-based church that you can become part of The Bible says that we should be planted in the local church. So I want to encourage you to find the church. Listen, I'm excited for you, and I truly believe that in Christ, your best days are still ahead.